everybody. Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, and my co-host, as always, Charles William Carpenter the Third, and our guest today, Zach Lloyd. What's going on, Zach? Not too much. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Yeah, I'm actually recovering from a long LA trip, so I've been better. Okay. But hopefully, uh, hair of the dog will help me. <laughs> what uh, What was going on in LA? So I was visiting some friends and then I went to the Porsche Experience Center. Very cool. To uh, learn how to drive those cars a little better. That's awesome. Yes. Don't do it hungover, though. Not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of which, well, I guess before we get into the whiskey, we should give you a chance to introduce yourself and just say a little bit about who you are and, and what you do, uh, if you don't mind, Zach. Sure. So my name is Zach Lloyd. I am the founder of a company called Warp. Warp's a uh, company focused on elevating developer productivity. And what we're doing, our first product that we're building is a new version of the command line terminal. So one of the kind of oldest and most widely used developer tools. What we're trying to do is basically build a version of it that uh, sort of unlocks the power of the command line to a wider group of developers. And then the other thing that we're trying to do is turn it into a sort of modern collaborative app so it's traditionally been like a like a local desktop only like view into your file system and our goal is to make something that works more like google docs or figma but for the command line so yeah that's like my super quick what do i what am i working on nice cool yeah so before we dive deeper into to some of those things we should probably start with some whiskey. So mm-hmm. uh, you want to tell us about what we got today, Chuck? Sure. I'll, uh, this celebratory bottle, since it's your birthday, Zach, is Stellum Bourbon. Uh, so the mash bill, I don't know, I was trying to dig into what exactly it was. So it's a blend of three different whiskeys. It looks like they're sourcing some of it from Indiana, some from Kentucky, and some from Tennessee. But the primary blended one is mostly corn. It says 99% corn and 1% barley, which is interesting. And then I don't know anything about the other two. <laughs> That's a lot of corn. That's a lot of corn. I mean, over 70 seems like, you know, going to be pretty sweet. But I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, no age statement. But I guess uh, from what I can dig in a few other whiskey-specific review sites, they think that uh, around five to six-year-old barrels so pretty high proof, 100 and f- almost 115. Mm. So like 57 and a half ABV. Yeah, not messing around. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> All righty. So we'll do a little pour. I want to see uh, if you're glad. Yeah, go with a regular tumbler. We've managed to eventually get whiskey-specific glasses to do this. So I don't know. I'm not, Whoa. Sure, not sure if it helps. So these are like those Glencarns that are like tulip-shaped. Sh- but then it has like an extra layer on the outside so you don't warm it up with your fingers. Yeah, I mean, we mean business. I feel like, should I even be drinking it out of this? Why not? Yeah, it's all fine. <laughs> there's no wrong way. No, there's no wrong way. I don't shame. I used to use a, a normal glass and tons of ice, and I've evolved a little bit to, to be a little more legit. But Yeah. So ice I don't do, but I don't, I don't have the special whiskey glass, especially... Like right now I'm in, I'm in New Mexico and I'm at an Airbnb. And so it didn't come equipped with good whiskey gear. Mm. 
Yeah, and I don't think the I don't think they travel well. So one star. Yeah, <laughs> it's out. Yeah. Wait a minute. That well, that'll have to be a requirement in the future. That's right. You're not far from me. I'm in Phoenix while Rob okay. is in Virginia. Yeah. Cool. I think we're on. Are you on Mountain Time? I am on Mountain Time. Cool. I love New Mexico. I know we're going down like a different uh, rabbit hole here. Are you in Santa Fe or? So I am in Taos, which is mm-hmm. it's like the southern tip of the Rockies. So. I'm actually like if you were to look out my window right now, you would see snow-covered mountains. I'm here with my fiance for the winter, and we go skiing at uh, Tuskegee Valley every weekend. A lot of people I tell them I'm in New Mexico, they assume it's desert, and it is kind of high desert, but it's cold yeah. and snowy. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful there. It's gorgeous. In the summer, they do a lot of fly fishing and stuff there too. So yeah, they do. Hmm. Okay, I'll regress. We'll talk about whiskey again, I guess, for a second. <laughs> so it's getting a little like. Allspice, maybe kind of, I don't know, on the smell for me. Definitely spicier. Definitely has a little burn to it. Yeah. It has a burn. Feels like about 1% barley. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Would you call it malted or unmalted barley? Mm. You know the difference? Mm-hmm. Okay. How expert are you guys on whiskey? Pretty expert? Chuck is. Um, Chuck is. It just means I have a drinking problem. yeah i know things but i think the descriptors are all very arbitrary and like subjective to the person so you know i can say apricot or whatever else maybe that will influence like kind of what you start to taste because it's just the way that i can describe what i'm deriving and then if we can kind of meet where those things make sense i don't know yeah it's strong it burns Mm -hmm. yeah so in kentucky we call that the hug gives you a little hug Slightly sweet. You guys think it's sweet? What do you think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's got sweet in the beginning, and I'm trying to like figure out what that feels like to me, but then it gets kind of like spicy, like I said, like clove, allspice, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then it just burns. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting like some bitterness at the end that's like maybe like some orange peel or something. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't really put my finger on it. It's a familiar flavor, but. Maybe like a grapefruit rind kind of thing or mm, something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, hunt. See, you can, you can elicit all kinds of. <laughs> I get the spiciness, the sort of clove, allspice. I actually get the weird, like the apricot. I don't know if you just planted that in my head. That's now how it tastes to me. But yeah, I, I kind of taste a little bit of like dry apricot type. Yeah, we were right. able to uh, influence, uh, what was it, Banana, <laughs> Bananas Foster last time, the last mm-hmm. recording we did. And we were like, yeah, more like, you know, Bananas Foster, like a little burnt banana peel. And oh, yes. Uh, I don't know. So have you ever seen that movie, Psalm? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Mm-mm. This reminds me a little. Yeah, it's where, he, what does he say? Like, oh, um, tastes like a fresh open can of tennis balls or something. Like that. Yeah, he has some really arbitrary descriptors. Yeah. Between that and that one a few years ago that Maynard did, Maynard James Keenan, it was like blood into wine. Okay. And like kind of how he invaded the wine scene. So he has some vineyards in Arizona and he's been here for a, a while. Like, I think like since like 97. So big line of wines and then yeah he's talking about that he's like the whole point system is bullshit right and you, the descriptors that people use it's kind of like how i described it like you know they're all made up terms yeah it doesn't taste like dirt but dirt's the closest thing you can come up with that you know right to describe that yeah have you guys maybe you've talked about this on prior prior episodes but have you followed all of the sort of issues with the counterfeiting of the high-end bourbons have you heard about that at all 
I have. Yeah. So yeah, there's a big market where like people will resell empty, like Pappy bottles or whatever else. So that's essentially why I don't buy any of those things because okay. yeah, I used to buy a lot of stuff in the secondary market when I lived in DC, like there was a good connected group of people you could trust and whatever else. But now if you're just like randomly trying to get stuff off Facebook, I don't, mm. yeah, I can't, I can't mess with that. There's a lot of good whiskey out there. You don't need to pay a thousand dollars for a bottle. It's just, nope. I don't know if you've ever had Pappy, but. I have not. It's good. It's not going to like be like, I've never tasted whiskey, anything like this in my whole life. Wow. Amazing. When it was available, it was great. When I want, got it in a lottery a couple of times. Oh, it was nice. I paid $55. It was good for that. Yeah. But the prices now, it's just like, man. Yeah. That's like a big thing. Apparently they do it. They'll even overseas. There are places like China and stuff. You can get counterfeit bottles. Wow. And they'll just fill it with whatever Jim Beam or something. Right. Yeah. And this one you sent me, this is legit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we made this. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is actually uh, all part of Robbie's uh, in, out in his barn. He's been distilling. Do you like it? <laughs> yeah, I've seen this one a few times in like Total Wine or something. I'm like, oh, it seems kind of interesting. And really, so we've been, did this come from Sealbox or somewhere else? I forget. I think we had to do a new place. No, they're dead to us. Yeah, because they don't ship to Virginia anymore. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of online retailers too that we trust great so it just kind of depends on where you're at so then ceremoniously the next part of the whiskey tasting is so we have a scale it's a tentacle scale because okay an octopus like creature is our logo and so eight tentacles one is the worst thing you've ever had eight is the most amazing thing you've ever had and then obviously it kind of goes from there it's all very subjective i mean i will be tweeting about whatever you say but <laughs> to your 20 followers Yes, to mine. Yes, exactly. Most people don't know I'm back on Twitter, but that's a whole. I think this is like a 6.6. I like it. I think it's, I think it's tasty. It's Bernie. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's a solid 6.6. Yeah. I mean, I think I like ones that will give me a little punch in the throat, you know, and maybe that's a masochist kind of, but yeah, if they're a little too light and too easy, it just feels like. I don't know. I just, I want to, I want to feel it. That's sort of what whiskey is to me. Yes. Yeah. I might go seven. Okay. I, think I might go seven, which I'm kind of surprised about that. Cause at first I wasn't really sure about this, but the, as I sip it a little bit more and more and it like my tongue is coated and that doesn't get burned and I'm getting more flavors out of it. I think I kind of like it. Yeah. I think I'm going to go seven as well because for such a high proof, it's very drinkable and tasty. Hmm. Like, and for being 99% corn, it has more complexity than I would expect. So they did a good job. Hmm. I'll give it a seven. The secrets and whatever else they're blending with it. Like, I mean, the Kentucky one. So it's interesting. So anytime you see made in Indiana, that's always sourced from this giant distillery called MGP. Hmm. And you, you know, they'll have a bunch of stuff they already make, or you can feed them a mash bill and they'll make that stuff for you as well. And a lot of like newer companies are basically just sourcing and picking barrels from MGP. And so they're obviously doing that to a degree, but they're also getting stuff from other places. So in Kentucky, it could be a lot of places. Heaven Hill is known for selling barrels pretty regularly because they have a huge distillery, like multiple locations and rickhouses. And then Tennessee, like Dickel kind of does it. I mean, it's not like people are buying Jack Daniels, but so I don't know. It's, it, it's pretty interesting the way that they've gone about selecting it. And it kind of reminds me of High West which is in Utah. And that was like a former chemist Mm. who then started by like sourcing barrels and then doing cool chemical blends between 
this stuff, and then they were making their own eventually. But hmm, I don't know. Seems like it was like very smartly put together, and it kind of worked out. Hmm. Could have gone in anyway. Yeah. And at only fifty five dollars a bottle, I'm actually pretty impressed. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing because everybody wants to charge you seventy dollars a bottle these days because whiskey is popular. And then you're like, well, how can I try this? And then not feel like it was kind of ripped off. Yeah. It's good. I mean, I'll be drinking this to be clear. Excellent. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it's not going to waste or, you know. I will be drinking this. In fact, I have a, um, my bachelor party is this weekend. I'm getting married in a few weeks. Ooh. And so I'll probably be. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations across the board. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. Is it going to be in Taos or are you going, are you traveling? The wedding is in Taos. And the bachelor party is in Breckenridge, Colorado. So mm-hmm. renting a house up there with some buddies. Yeah. I'll bring this and I'll see I'll see what their scores are. This will be drunk this weekend for sure. Wonderful. Yeah, that's perfect. That's great. Yeah, the celebration begins today and continues on. Yeah. And uh, I'll be very curious to your Monday state how productive you're gonna be that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm be a little rough but yeah that's awesome wonderful shipping a lot of features on monday <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> got all my feature requests for you as part of this uh oh, please this podcast perfect <laughs> <laughs> all right well yeah i mean let's talk uh let's talk a little tech let's talk warp and it's a very interesting space in that like i've tried to read and like digest a little more about like the specifics technically but i guess the gist is is that mm-hmm. The current software out there is fairly antiquated. Some of the newer players were kind of going down the Electron path. Yep. And you guys are like going to attack it in a different way. And in what seems to be a very popular way to do that, uh, choosing Rust and then building up from there. So sounds cool. Developer tools in Rust are, are pretty hot. But like what made you think, I guess, aside from like you're like, I term sucks. I don't know. <laughs> Why a terminal? Yeah, it's a great question. So partly it's just like, personal. I've been a developer for 20 years now, and I've always been a terminal user. I'm not a power user. Like I've always found command line to be, it's like a thing you have to use as a developer. You really can't escape it because so many uh, programs that you use are text-based apps. They're the easiest apps to write. I've always used it. I've always felt kind of clumsy in it. It's a very like weird user interface. Like, you know, basic stuff doesn't work. Like the mouse doesn't work the way you expect. And so I just always kind of accepted it, but I also always worked with developers who really were power users in the terminal. And if you're, you know, what you notice is if you work with people who are really good in that tool, they can be more productive than others. It's just like text-based interfaces can be super efficient because they're scriptable, they're composable, they're like, you know, hands-on keyboard lets you do things really quickly. And so one of like the kind of root product ideas behind Warp was, could you build a version of a text-based interface that brings that same power to a much larger group of developers? So it makes that power much more accessible. So that was like one of the things initially that got me excited. I was like, hey, there's an opportunity here. I was also excited by the fact that it is a really widely used tool. Like I still think it's true. If you walk by most developers' desks, they're going to have a terminal open they'll either have it open in addition to like an IDE or they'll have it open and that'll be all they have open. And because they're doing their code editing in the terminal, it's still like, I mean, I don't use Vim or Emacs, but like a kind of surprising number of people still do. So that was like one, one insight. And then the other thing 
you know, my background as an engineer is I used to run the engineering team on Google Sheets and I helped build a lot of that product. I then was a principal engineer on the Google Docs suite. And so my experience doing that really made me believe that there's a lot of power if you can take an app that is not collaborative and like that is tied to your desktop and that is just old school, not cloud native software and, and turn it into something that is cloud native and collaborative, that there's always going to be productivity benefits from that. And they might not even be obvious. Like, like I don't know how often two people are going to want to be in the same terminal session, but I can think sometimes they will be. But even just things like moving your history, like your terminal history to the cloud or like making it really easy to share a configuration amongst all the people on a team in the terminal. The more I thought about those ideas, the more I was just like, it basically works 100% of the time to make something cloud native. And so I was like, let's try and do that. Now, the idea for doing it in, in Rust was, it was primarily around like performance. We knew we needed to build a native app, even though like I would love for the terminal to be running in a browser. The reason you not to start in the browser is just like most terminal usage today is still going to be against your local file system. And so for that, like, you know, you're either going to build a web app and put it in Electron to run against your local file system, which is, I think, a subpar user experience, or you might as well take advantage of the fact that, um, you know, you can run compiled code and like the best sort of modern stack for doing that, like, in my opinion, is Rust. You get the same kind of performance you would get from like C or C++, but you get a much safer, more ergonomic development experience. And so we started with that. A lot of us had to learn it, but it was actually pretty straightforward. You know, it, it took a while. Like, I don't know if you guys have used Rust at all. It's, it's like, it's not nearly as easy as JavaScript, but you produce a better app. And then we ended up doing the whole thing, like where we're actually like actually drawing the pixels on the screen and interfacing with the GPU. So it's like a GPU accelerated terminal. That wasn't like the core reason for doing the product. But like when we thought about like, hey, we want to make something that's really great for developers, we thought that would be the best way to implement it is by starting with the fastest possible platform. People love speed. People love speed. And like if you're using <laughs> the terminal a lot, you like your patience for like a slow experience is going to be really low. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, that's why we did it. And like, uh, just as like a side note, so, you know, Google Docs is not built in native tech. It's all web tech. And it's really, really hard to make a web application that has native performance. And like, we spent, I can't even tell you how much time trying to tweak the performance of Google Sheets to get the performance good. And like, the performance is great for a web app, but it's not great compared to like, if you're just running Excel natively on your computer and like we were really running up against the limits of the actual platform there. Like for instance, you couldn't control the layout in memory of a spreadsheet cell. And that's a pretty fundamental thing to be able to, you know, want to control if you're building a spreadsheet. I mean, this is getting a little bit like nerdy and technical, but like, that's like, it really, that like that kind of stuff matters a lot. And so when we approached the terminal, which is, you know, it's a bunch of the same challenges technically around like, how do you render a ton of text really quickly? We just wanted to pick a platform that by default was fast. Right. So wait a minute, is it your fault that Google Sheets will always ask me if I want to download the native app instead? <laughs> I mean, Google Sheets, to my knowledge, doesn't have a native. Oh, you're talking about, are you talking about on the phone? 
Yeah. Will on the phone. Yeah. 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 On the phone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want people in the native app on the phone for sure. Cause the, the web web plus mobile is just like, forget it. The performance is really bad. Yeah. Not that I'd attempt any spreadsheet like usage or even reading on phone, but like iPad, it does that. Yes. It's like, Oh, iOS. Hey, go get this. Well, you should get the native app. It's much better. Yeah. 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 I do actually for most of those things. Good. Yeah. I try to listen. I feel like that Google, Amazon, most of the time they're smarter than I am. They've, they've got a lot of people <laughs> trying to figure this out. And so I was like, I should trust you. I should just go with that. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, using Hyper for a few years now, and I think it's all electron based. And it, it is. if you open more than a few tabs, it starts to be really, really slow. Mm. So yeah, definitely a problem with trying to go web-based first on that. I can't remember why I abandoned it. I remember like trying Hyper for like a minute and then, I don't know, didn't, went back to iTerm because it was just familiar and I've been using it for, I don't know, more than 10 years, a long time. And I am using Warp now, so. Oh, nice. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) My only feedback is that I am old and my eyes are bad. And the, when you open the preference pane, it's like really small text that I cannot get bigger. So then I have to like mess with that to like mess with my preferences. That's great feedback. (sighs) Just to kind of maybe explain why, like we have some weird stuff like that. So we have our own UI framework, so we're not rendering using like Cocoa components or like the things that come with the Mac UI toolkit, which from a user experience perspective can suck sometimes. And like, we get complaints about not having like actually like native settings, which we may do at some point, but doing all of the text layout and the, it's just, there's a lot of rough edges like that, which is stuff that we're trying to work through. The advantage from our perspective is that when we do go cross platform, we get to use some of that same UI on other platforms. And so it'll be a familiar experience if you're on like the web or Linux and you're still using Warp. Uh, And so that's the user advantage, but there is this user disadvantage where it's like some stuff is just like not as Mac like native as I would like it to be. Yeah. You're probably, you're, you're feeling that a little. Yeah. Just, it's just small text. And I was like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) I have a 32 inch monitor, but I'm like, uh, well, I guess if you tried zooming it, like that would be my first kind of question. Like the this pinch zoom thing. I don't know if I have. Well, let's just do it right now live. Plus plus thing. If you do command plus. Yeah, it doesn't. Oh no, it, it doesn't zoom. There's a no. there's a real bug there. Yeah. Okay. So it only <laughs> zooms the actual like yeah, terminal, no. but it doesn't zoom my settings. Yeah. This is amazing feedback. Well, there we go. See, this is useful for you. I'm glad. Not just whiskey. Yeah. I mean, we usually buy people's time with whiskey, but you know, if there's anything <laughs> beyond that. It's good. But yeah, otherwise, like it's been pretty great for me. I do want to like dive into probably doing like a custom theme, um, but I played around with that a little bit. I know Robbie wanted to do some <laughs> theming stuff. I don't know that you've gone down that. Yeah, you went, you tried it or no? That was my only complaint, I guess, was like I have a very specific theme that I just like download. I don't even know what it's called, honestly, because it's all like auto synced behind the scenes these days. But it's like probably one of the base 16 themes. And I was like, why can't I just pull these in from a package or something? So we should definitely have that. You can do it right now. We have a theme repo if you actually like okay. want to do like a couple minutes of work, but I don't blame you if you don't, where we do have all of the base 16 themes. And so it's probably in there and you just need to put the theme that you want in a dot warp directory. Gotcha. That said, like this, that's not the user experience that we want. We want a user experience where it's like, 
you could just your theme is there. You search for you. You don't have to, to set up any directories. So yeah, also good feedback. It's good to know though. That's cool. You can do it though, and you can also customize it if you want. It's just a text file right. that specifies the structure of the theme. Yeah, I think that brings me to a, another question, and I haven't used it a ton, so I don't know if this exists, and I'm stupid for asking this question. But like, is it going to be a um, thing that has like plugins and things that people can easily extend or like add, you know, open source packages to bolt on to it, or or can, what are you thinking around that? Hundred percent, yes, is the answer. We're not quite there yet. The the sort of like extensibility plan for Warp is um, so there's a bunch of parts. So I think the natural extension points for Terminal are like our themes, completions, tool specific stuff. So it's like, is there stuff that can make like Docker or Kubernetes work better? We have a new feature that we're about to launch, which is this thing called Workflows, which is super cool, which basically you could think of it as like the evolution of aliases. And so imagine for a second that you had like a complicated command that you frequently run and other people on your team need to run it. What you can do is, is make a workflow. You can put in metadata around what that workflow does. You can put in parameters for it and then be able to sort of like share that search for it as you're entering commands. And so workflows will be another extension point. We're also going to ship with a bunch of like workflows that are generally useful for people. So for instance, like if you can't remember how to undo your last git commit, which I can never actually remember, you'll be able in the app to like search for like undo and it'll show you like git, you know, reset, dash, dash, hard, head, tilde one or like whatever mm-hmm. the thing is. And so that'll be a, a natural extension point. We want to also do extensions around the rendering, which I think would be pretty cool. So in a warp, we have this concept of blocks. So when you run a command, it's kind of like in a notebook. What we do is we, we visually group the command and its output together. And so warp knows like what command produces what result. Whereas a normal terminal, like, like iterm or hyper, it's just one big stream of characters. And in warp, what we, what we can do is take advantage of that knowledge to do things like, hey, if you just outputted like a JSON file, we could detect that and give you a rendering that's like a JSON object viewer. Or like if you output a CSV, mm. like we could give you an interactive table. And so there's a bunch of things along dealing with outputs that we want to make pluggable. And then eventually, like the goal is to have an experience that's kind of like VS Code, you know, their extensions. I don't know if you, do you guys use VS Code at all? Yeah. So they have a really nice thing where it's like, hey, you know, they detect that you're working with a particular file type and they suggest like, hey, yeah. you're working with Markdown. Why don't you install this Markdown viewer? This is a SQL file. Why don't you install something that like helps you work with SQL? And so the terminal has a lot of that same type of content type specific or tool specific things that you can do to make the experience better. And so we want like a discovery mechanism that's kind of like the VS Code extension store for surfacing that extra functionality. Now, we're not there. It's going to take a while to get to, but I think I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, it sounds like a great roadmap. And just readability from a readability standpoint, right? Like being able to go through stuff. And like you said, the outputs, JSON. So I'm trying to like dig through, you know, some response data or something and figure out what's going on. And did I miss the shape or whatever else or CSVs? Yeah, parsing that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that would be really useful. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. That's nice. Yeah. Very cool. As long as I can read the settings to change that as need be. 
we'll be fine. It's a great bug report. So, so definitely we're going to be focusing on that. And then, you know, the, the, the other piece of that is like the, if you look at the way people extend their, their shell functionality right now, they tend to do it. You like discover a GitHub repo and then you run like curl into bash and it changes some config file someplace. And you hope that that change doesn't conflict with any other environment variables that you've set. And you might have three things setting your PS1. Like the prompt is another place where we want to add better extensibility. And so having some sort of structure around that and discoverability and like assurance that things are playing well together is another place I think we can really make it better to extend the terminal. Yeah, that sounds nice. I think I'm getting the plugin points that make a lot of sense and, and what, what's appealing there beyond just a performance thing. Yeah. You didn't just want to make another hot Rust app. I get it. <laughs> no. Yeah, I would say that's probably coincidental to how much uh, popularity in DX that Rust is getting right now. And then, oh, yeah, you're also on that stack. But obviously, it probably took you you know, a pretty long time to, to scale up to where you're at right now and what you're going to do. So as a company, we have existed for about a year and a half. We started building the app for real about a year ago. Like we did some prototyping and sort of exploration of different tech stacks and that type of thing. I am uh, not the type of programmer who will build, will pick a language because I think the language is cool. I think we have all of these cool benefits from being part of the Rust community, which is awesome. Like I don't have anything against web tech or anything like that, but it's like my general philosophy for when you're building something like this to try to pick the tool that's going to get you to the best product experience. And so it's always like working backwards from what user experience is going to be best. And then how do you pick the tools and the stack and the technology to try to achieve that? I've written a bunch about this. I have like a blog that has like an article on this that has gotten like pretty active commentary on Hacker News on both sides because oh, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> I might have read that. Now I think I forgot. Like, yeah, when someone introduced, like gave me an invite to work, I think I did like read some stuff on Hacker News about it. So now. Hacker News is amazing for the conversation that it fosters. It's like people have such strongly held opinions, which I really appreciate. And so, yeah, one of my blog posts is on this thing called Product First versus code first engineers. And in my experience, like the best engineers who I've worked with and who I prefer to work with are people who are seeing the technology as a tool for like achieving an end user result or for solving some problem. And that could be like a user problem or it could be like a problem for the people who are using your API. Like at any level of the stack, you're going to have users. Mm -hmm. And so my sort of philosophy on that, which some people just, I think, don't agree. And they think it's like code. They think it's like like a coded way of saying, I don't care about like the tech, the, the underlying tech, which is not the point at all, is like, I just want to work with people who are trying to solve the user problem and work backwards from that. Yeah. I think you said it best when you were narrowing in on like, whatever is the best pool, tool for the job. Exactly. Right? And so, yeah. yeah. So prior to ShipShape and for a while, I've been in like engineering leadership and stuff too, and running teams and like letting teams solve problems on their own without like, you know, they can dip their toe into things and experiment, but it also has to like make sense for the end goals of the objectives for the user, for the business and all those things coming into play. Right. Completely agree. Yeah. Um, not just cause it's hot or whatever. Yeah. That's been my big complaint about react for since it came out is like <laughs> half the people use it. Cause they're like, Oh my God, it's hot. 
I like React. <laughs> like they, they don't know anything about any other frameworks. They're just like, oh, I love it. It's like, okay, why? What? <laughs> Sometimes it's like exposure to a sort of like the thing that you that clicked for you early on, and then you really like get, I don't know, really just embedded in that. You have a very singular objective in that sense too. So, right. I mean, there's also this big cost to learning other tools, and sometimes it's just like. I, you have to factor that in. Like, I, I think being yeah. pragmatic around all these decisions, like if you had a team of like Java experts and you were building a server and someone was like, no, 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 we should do this in Go. Like Go is... I was going to say Go. <laughs> Go is how you build servers today. I would be sort of skeptical. <laughs> I would be like, I mean, look, we have server code in Go. Go is a perfectly fine language. Yeah. So is Java. And like having everyone give up their domain knowledge to pick a tool yeah. unless there's some fundamental benefit to that tools. I I'm always going to be sort of skeptical of something like that. Yeah. You got to look at what the resources you have in front of you and what makes sense. Like you said, very being pragmatic about your decisions. <laughs> you know, it was interesting thing. So I did look at the Z book. Oh, nice. And I know that wasn't the blog that you referenced, but still, you know, I like to know a little bit about who we're talking to. Yeah. You know, you have a dog, Blue. I do. Yes. Who likes clues, maybe? I don't know. Hard to say. <laughs> He's not named after Blue's Clues, just as that. Okay. We'll get we'll get back to that, too. This will be a little more whatnot or whatever, because yeah. Robbie loves to talk about dogs. <laughs> so in your experience, like we talked about, you know, some about how you're at Google and what you were working on there and then what's going on now. But like bookended there is your interim CEO at Time. And I thought that was really interesting because I used to work for National Geographic. And so I know what media is like yeah. and the juxtaposition of those software heavy, software heavy. I know it's like DX and, you know, different customers, but like in the middle, it's like about like massive, well-known, you know, very respected media. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how you got involved there. And then, and you know what, I don't know, how did that, how was that for you? And I'll give you the, the behind the scenes. So okay. the story behind me being CTO for a short period of time is actually, so time is owned by, I don't know if you guys know, by Mark Benioff, who is the, mm -hmm. the Salesforce CEO and founder, who also happens to be my second cousin. I don't talk about this that much, but. Oh, but, whoa, okay. So Mark has been super supportive of me in my, in my tech career. Like we talk from time to time and I was sort of coming out of another startup that I'd been the CTO and co-founder of, which was super different domain. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do next? Do I want to start another company? Do I want to go work at another big company? Do I want to go work at a startup? And I talked to, I talked to Mark and Mark sort of made the case of like going to help out at time, which was, it's an awesome brand, awesome content, but they're, you know, they're going through, they were going through, and I think that they still are going through a transition from being a sort of print first sort of older type media company to a media company that is like a digital first. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about media. I'm totally unqualified to be like a media company like leader, but I, I do know a bunch about like sort of, you know, software engineering and running engineering teams. And so my, my job there was to just like help as much as I could, as far as sort of like fostering a digital transformation. Hmm. I helped hire the, the next, like the, the full-time CTO there. I just made my best uh, effort to sort of like 
bring my experience from Google and doing other technology projects into time. And uh, I think time is like time is an awesome place, and is the digital transformation is going pretty well. I think. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I mean, I just I felt like, oh yeah, I have some understanding of that. Being I was part of a big brand, National Geographic. It was a not for profit, basically. So the magazine still made money when I left, but it was like one of the very few that in print still made some money, and that was sharply declining. Yep. The channel always made money. It had been keeping kind of the brand afloat for quite some time, and then they had a lot of other ventures. And they've just been trying to figure out their digital space. So like, you know, we made a bunch of different products and we did a paywall and we did like lots of sponsored things and whatever else all along the way. Yeah. 21st Century Fox, who were the partners with the channel, they ended up buying all media assets and then creating a second company. And then the society broke off, became completely nonprofit. And then they were just doing like education and the missions stuff. But then they had 20% of the other venture. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's really like those same things you're talking about are definitely things that time is talking about. We, we would talk about Nat Geo, actually. Like Nat Geo is super successful on social, actually. Like I think Nat Geo has a yeah like a huge Instagram following because they have such sort of beautiful, awesome photo content. Yeah. Time has some of that. So time is also like I can't speak for time and I'm not associated with them, but like they're definitely interested in like diversifying. So time is now doing like a bunch of stuff in the conference and event space. Time has a, I think really successful now, like, uh, like studio. Hmm. Like I just was watching the new Kanye documentary. I don't know if you guys are watching that at all on Netflix. I have been, yeah. (laughs) I've watched the first two episodes. I mean, how can you not, how can you not watch? It's like, even if you're like not really a fan, although I like, I am from back in the day, like it's still like, as a, you're watching the train go and mm-hmm. go at another train very quickly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I don't know if you guys want to talk about Kanye West or not, but like, I don't care. Yeah. The music is insanely good in my opinion. Oh yeah. The music is out of control. Good. The, I don't know if the third episode is out yet or if it comes out today, maybe I haven't. I think it's today. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. I just looked at the date cause I have no idea what day is what most times because <laughs> you know, it's just how yeah. it is. I've got two kids and this and whatever else. I don't know. They're all the same it's Saturday right now. Right. Could be. It's hard to say. <laughs> and if it was, you should be skiing and not talking to us, but um, <laughs> yeah. So today's the second and it does come out today. So I'll be watching that tonight. Yeah. I mean, random other like thing from my, jobs that I've had, like I've had kind of a diverse career, but there was a period where, so I dropped out of law school. I don't know if you saw that on my, my, we did. <laughs> yes. I think we had that notes to kind of ask you about like, what was up with that? But And then I was like, what the heck am I going to do? And like, I'm, I'm a musician. I, I play guitar and, and I love music. And so what I did was I sent email. I was living in New York. I sent emails to like 30 music producers whose emails I found on just like websites for different studios and ended up getting an internship where I basically then became like a recording assistant for a music producer for like, you know, nine months or a year in New York. That's cool. Yeah. Which was so, so awesome. So when I see Kanye doing the like production stuff and then doing the rapping, I'm just like the talent levels it's like unbelievable. Yeah. The fact that he has like all of that and, and then son, he can do a lot of stuff. 
you can do the full stack and like if you want to make it really nerdy yeah. it's like mm-hmm. he's gonna do full stack music <laughs> i bet he can do some film stuff and some like crazy artsy things i don't know about those shoes they're ugly yeah. as shit the fashion is questionable yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i don't mind the chunky dad shoes and then like some of the plainer baggy things are kind of fine but like those weird slippers like future looking slippers that looks like groog like you know, from Guardians of the Galaxy, wrapped his fingers around your foot or something. It's really <laughs> that one's not for me. But I mean, you're, you're asking the wrong guy about the fashion. So I'm in. I'm in. Oh, okay. I'm all sweat. I mean, you got a pretty sweet sweatshirt there. I don't know what you mean. So this is my warp sweatshirt. I know. Yeah, nice swag. Very cool. Very. We'll cool. send you guys some some swag after if you would like it. Sure. Yeah, I'm down. Of course, we love swag. We'll send you addresses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, I love swag. We're all tech stuff. I'm I'm comfy guy. Cool. Yeah, I miss conferences because I used to get all of my wardrobe for that year from the conference. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of a bummer. But you know, what are you gonna do? Okay. So yes, let's talk about blue. Where's that come from? Totally random. So my he's named after the the Blue Ridge Highway, mm-hmm. which like runs through I think North Carolina. Maybe West Virginia. I don't know. Mm. My fiance and I, the first trip that we ever took together was down to Asheville to go like leaf peeping. Do you guys know what that is? No idea. It's really nerdy. It's like when the, in the fall, when the the leaves change color from like, they become like red and yellow. There's like a class of people who go like watch the leaves change and they're called leaf peepers. And so we, (laughs) anyway, I don't want to, I'm, Maybe we should edit this part out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. This is definitely on record. Uh, leaf, I didn't know it had a term. I know what you mean because, like, we've gone, oh, we'll go up north. Yeah. Because I'm in Arizona, and, yeah, people think it's the desert, right? But two-thirds of the state is not that. There's a whole bunch of stuff and skiing and everything else up north. So, right. yes, I understand. You know, we drove along the Blue Ridge Highway, and then, like, three months later or something, we adopted adopted it uh, blue. And we were thinking, like, what's well, a cool name? And we're like, oh, we should name it after the Blue Ridge Highway. So we named it Blue, which we didn't think about it long enough because Blue is actually a really popular dog name. Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> the first thing people associate is Blue's Clues, which is not at all what he's named after. <laughs> mm. But that's the story behind, uh, behind Blue. Okay. Well, you got something. I'm buying it. We had a dog in college named Blue for two days. Okay. And he ran away. In a snowstorm. Oof. And like, so we had, we were fostering him um, and he was like really skittish and someone left the door open for him and he ran away. Mm. So then I had to chase after him. So I was driving around neighborhoods and stuff and we found him like two days later, like eating a deer down in a field. Huh. And oh, shit. like he was hardcore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I almost called him. Like I had a, I had the leash like ready to just put around him. Like I was sneaking up behind him and then a car oh, drove no. by and he looked up and saw me and never caught him, but somebody caught him and they, they put him back in the foster program and like, he's doing fine. I assume now, but um, <laughs> oh, or maybe is dead at this point. I don't know how old he would be. I was to say your college times. I mean, I'm going to assume it was a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, you might not be around, but he was doing better after that. So, okay. That's a great story, Robbie. We should definitely tell that more in the future. Um, <laughs> we had another dog named Onyx. Huh? Did you sing slam to, to the dog? No. You remember that band Onyx? Do, 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 I don't. Do, do, do. No. Wow. I make a lot of like old references that Robbie doesn't get. <laughs> so there's a slight age difference between us and I don't want to be ageist, but yeah, there was a, I don't know. I want to say it was like maybe the late nineties. There was a band called Onyx. 
Hmm. And they had a song slam. And I was thinking, Kanye fan, maybe you would catch on to that. Have you seen Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix? I have not. Okay. Cool. All that stuff. Yeah, very good. And like he starts, it's a mix between being like, different decades but also different locales so it's like oh here's how the east coast scene sort of started went to the west coast here's atlanta here's like detroit scene and and all their different flavors of it so that's really cool i think i got into that after the wu-tang show on on uh hulu you're you've watched a, a few streaming shows on hip-hop yeah yeah i'll go down the rabbit hole yeah <laughs> sounds like you have a lot of free time uh, no, what happens is I just don't sleep as much. So kids go to bed, spend some time with the wife. She goes to bed. And then if I want to watch something, that's when it happens. So I just sleep less. I think I, I watched that one with Dr. Dre and Jimmy. What's his name? Jimmy. I don't I, I mean, you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, that sounds right. Didn't that come out like right after Beats sold or something? Yeah, that's I think it's partly about that. Yeah. Yeah. Where he became like the first rapper billionaire or something. Although I, I don't know. I think Jay-Z might argue with that. Mm. Yeah. And I think Kanye is a billionaire now too, right? It's hard to say. Yeah. Is Eminem not a billionaire? I don't think so. He owns a lot of stuff. Sure. Kanye is a billionaire from the fashion brand is my understanding. Yeah. Oh, that put him over the edge. That could be, but I mean like as a producer, you end up getting a lot of ongoing residuals too. So like right. doing the producer thing helps a bunch right. versus like as a direct artist and then yeah diversifying from there because i i don't think eminem like found anyone other than 50 cent and then that was kind of it that sounds right uh he has a few skylar gray hmm. never heard of him i forget who else but he has his radio station shade 45 as well oh really mm-hmm. no idea he's got mom's spaghetti in uh he does have mom's spaghetti yeah <laughs> i'm so curious he opened a restaurant in detroit it's like basically like a carry out window and it's mom's spaghetti that's hilarious I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I want to go there just for that at this point. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. I don't know a ton about him, honestly, but I just assumed having a radio station and a few other things that he was maybe a billionaire, but maybe not. He's probably happy not working that much. Like, I feel like he's in a sweet spot. He only works when he has to, like, do a rebuttal album for Machine Gun Kelly, <laughs> by my understanding. <laughs> so, yeah, that and the Super Bowl show, right? which was cool. Yeah, it was pretty good. I don't watch Egg Ball Game usually, but I do watch it for you know things like that Super Bowl halftime show and all the commercials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we were fast forwarding through the game because <laughs> we had paused it for a while and then just skip through the game, watch the commercials, and then like, yeah. So where I'm from is even like across the river from Cincinnati. I just I don't know because I don't live there anymore. I just kind of don't follow it. You're not a not a Bengals fan. I'm fine with it. I don't have a lot of time for sports because obviously I'm watching all these hip hop documentaries. Um, so it's just uh, I, I watch European soccer. That's it. It's really kind of like it's my zone. Gotcha. Yeah. What if Joe Burrow was a rapper? Then would you watch Bengals? What? Who? What? If Joe Burrow, the quarterback for the Bengals, was a rapper. Oh, that quarterback. He kind of looks like a rapper. He's got a big gold <laughs> chain with like his JB whatever on it. I saw that. I was like, oh. it's like a. 80s guy with those Oakley like blades. This guy, yeah, he's got he's making a, that fashion statement. Yeah, for sure. It's a very strong one. It's not for everybody, but hey, you know, good for him. So outside of so you ski, you're about to get married. Today's your birthday. You don't have to tell us the age. Any other hobbies or interests that you have? 
so I play guitar. Yes. So that's like a thing that I love spending. Uh, I love spending time doing. Acoustic or electric or both? I play both. I play both. And I've, I've played in some bands. That's super fun. Like one of the things about the pandemic, I think that has kind of sucked the most. is just like hard to get together and play music with people. So I haven't, I mostly am like playing on my own these days, which is kind of a bummer, but yeah, guitar is like one of my all time, all time favorite things to do. And then other than that, I don't know, hang out with my dog. There you go. I am a football fan. So who's your team? I do like to do some, some sports betting also. I don't really have a team at this point, to be mm. honest. Whichever one will make <laughs> you the most money that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So my friend and I do this thing every year, which is called a survivor pool. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. Okay. But the way that it works is you basically at the beginning of the year, you pay an entry fee and there's like you're competing against like 500 or a thousand other sort of people who are in it. And every week, what you have to do is you pick one team to win in one game. And the only rule is as the season goes on, once you've picked the team, you can't pick them again. Mm. And so you just have to win that game. And so like the first week, mm. you know, you can pick like like the Chiefs, like the biggest, you can pick the biggest favorite every week, but eventually you're going to run out of those favorites. Like you're going to have already picked them. And so there's some strategy involved in that. And at the end of the season, whoever has lost the fewest of those games wins the whole pool. Oh. So my friend and I have won like, I mean, I don't want like, not like a tremendous amount of money, but we've, we've like won quite a bit of money doing this thing. And what's really fun about it is that when you get towards the end, there become all these different hedging strategies that you can do. So if you get towards the end and you have a pretty good record and let's say, you know, we've gotten to the Super Bowl a couple times as basically undefeated. And what you can do is like, you could be like, okay, I'm either going to make my pick for the Super Bowl, but then you can also place a bet on the other team, which is a hedge bet. And so you essentially are taking some of the winnings out. And so we've won doing the hedge betting a bunch of times. It's like, I love football season because I love the uh, like the sort of strategy around the on the betting for it. That's interesting because I know a guy who used to be an accountant that quit his job because he does fantasy and he oh yeah he does it like very seriously like they travel for tournaments and like Whoa. all this stuff with like DraftKings and all this other thing like he gets paid or like they'll they'll give him a free trip like they were here a few months ago. Uh, in Scottsdale and he got like a free trip there to do this whole event thing. And he's like one of their top five players. I don't know. I don't know that much about it, but I have other friends that do. And they were like, Oh, you know, squirrel patrol. What? (laughs) And that's his name. Squirrel patrol. Hmm. He'll never hear this. So I don't really care. But uh, like, yeah, I guess through my wife. Yes, I know him, but yeah, that's like his career. That's well. So that's, this is not my day job. Yeah. Right. Right. Obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's fun, though. But it's crazy that it can be, though. Like For sure. I mean, they built a new house, I don't know, in Virginia. And so it, it's all right. I feel like you got to really know what you're doing. Because yeah. I feel like... Or be very lucky. There's probably a lot of people out there. He spent years and years developing his models. Wow. To like... Yeah. So he does it with baseball and football, but mostly football, I think, now. But he was doing a lot of baseball for a while, too. Wow. Mm. And he just took forever. Like, oh, he's an accountant, built his models, figured out, and then started, like, running stuff through there. It makes sense that that's, that skill set would transfer. I think a lot of people who have software skills or data skills end up 
getting really into like how do you predict uh the outcome of these things so yeah it makes sense it's cool yeah yeah that's like a recommendation engine in a way exactly which we know is a very hard software problem but <laughs> you know people get smart they do it they work for netflix i don't know exactly yeah there was that guy that uh like hacked roulette back in the day i don't know if you guys subscribe to the hustle but they were talking about this guy like he was a, a professor of something i think and he just figured out like if you wait until like the certain moment when they drop the ball and see like where the thing is spinning or something, he could predict it well enough that he made like several million dollars just like, wow, predicting where it would drop. That's a physics thing, I think, right? Yeah, that's awesome. And so it's like you're not going to get it right every time. But on the average, all you need is that slight edge to yeah. make a smarter bet. It tips the odds in away from the house. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Hmm. I'm into that. Yeah. I'm not that smart. I just make random bets and <laughs> hope for the best. Like, oh, 30 sounds like a good number. Mm. <laughs> sure. I don't think it's working out for you. I'm willing to bet. Yeah. My wife does not like my betting no. strategies because they never pay off. She's like, why don't you just hold on to the money and then you would have more money. And I'm like, well, what if one wins? You know, <laughs> that could win. That's a crazy thing for your wife to say. It's your fault. I have a bunch of Shiba Inu. <laughs> Yeah. Seriously. Like, hey, it's going to blow up. Wait for it's it. It's not working out right now. 2024 is the year for SHIB tokens. SHIB tokens, yeah. <laughs> He's like, talk me into that, essentially. And it's ne- crypto has never worked out for me. Like, mm. That's one thing I have never, I, I haven't bought any NFTs or crypto. I'm, I'm a little crypto skeptical. Yeah. yeah. I think the infrastructure offers a lot of opportunity. I think what's being tested upon it is pretty risky or I agree with that. It's like, I think it's cool technology. I think most of the applications right now seem like just pure speculation to me. Yeah. But the, I mean, the technology is super interesting for sure. Right. I don't care about ape drawings that much, but that's just me. <laughs> Some other stuff could be cool. We'll see. Yeah. Play it by ear. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything. The first generation of anything is never usually good. Like it's got to figure itself out and mm. it'll get there. I'm just going to say I'm still finding this to be a seven. So I think this is going to be a winner for your bachelor party. Oh, I have no doubt this is going to be a winner for the bachelor party. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's going up a little too the more I drink of it. Hey, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if like whiskey is your drink of choice typically or, you know, what your preferences are. It is actually. Yeah. I'm not a whiskey connoisseur, but um, bourbon's my, my go-to. I, I like cocktails too. So I'll sometimes oh, do yeah. like some bourbon cocktails. I like scotch also. But yeah, love whiskey. Years ago on the Bourbon Trail, this uh, Bubba, who was leading our uh, our tour at Buffalo Trace, it's usually like old retired guys. And he's like, you know, somebody asked him something about Pappy because that's made at Buffalo Trace. And he was like, well, I mean, that's, you know, it's over here. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, that's great if that's, that's your favorite. But I always tell everyone the best whiskey is the one you lack. And if that's a $20 bottle of Weller, then great. And if that's Pappy for $300, well, then great. <laughs> And, you know, Weller is no longer $20 a bottle, but, you know, I think the sentiment remains is it's sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, tastes are so subjective anyway. And so if you're enjoying something, is there anything wrong with that? Are you wrong? Like, no, hell with you. That's what I say. So if you want some cocktails, you want to put ice in it, even though I razz Robbie <laughs> over the years for the same thing, everyone else can put ice in it if they so choose. It's not a trophy. It's just like something to enjoy. Right. You know, it's kind of like the chef brings you out an amazing thing and people freak out if you put a bunch of salt on there. But if that if you want salt on your stuff, then you have it. I'm on your page with this. It's like the point of it is to enjoy it. So make it do it the way you want to do it. I'm with you on that for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. So hope you guys enjoy it this weekend then. Yeah, we will. Yeah. All right, we're at time here. So thanks everybody for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.